Welcome to Spice Bags, where three opinionated ladies, Blanca, May and me, Dee, have a dish about food in Ireland from an international perspective. So girls, um, I think when we were talking about what we wanted for the second season, that we wanted a couple episodes about staples, where we tackle a dish or staple from all of our different cultural perspectives, like bread or tea. Um, And now that there is two hours of daylight, we are talking about the very sexy subject of soup. So here's a confession. When I go back to the U.S., the food that I put in my suitcase is not fancy California cheese. It is cans of soup. Also, I remember that our former guest, Manuela Spinelli, famously declared that that is what she brings back from Italy, packet soup. And it occurred to, I think, all of us that our relationship to soup is deeply passionate and cultural and individual. Um, and so that's why we want to talk about soup. And also the first question I want to talk to Blanca is, um, my favorite sexy soup scene is from a Spanish movie. Um, Almodovar's women on the verge of nervous breakdown. And I wanted to know whether, first of all, you've seen it obviously, and whether you can describe it. I think that, um, Thanks to Almodovar, Prey Gaspacho became a very, very popular uh, soup all over the world. Um, this movie is, is very interesting. It's based in a very posh flat in Madrid, and the lady of the house uh, keeps Gaspacho in her fridge, and she laces it with uh, tranquilizers. So one day, inadvertently, she gives the Gaspacho or her guests drink the Gaspacho, so they all end up high. And the story of Gaspacho, Gaspacho is... I think a a difficult boundary for foreigners in Spain to cross because we drink gazpacho as a drink, but I think in the rest of the world is considered a soup with garnishes. So um, it's, it's something that doesn't translate well, but Almodovar just grabbed that and made it so iconic. And it's become probably the most talked about scene uh, in in his movies is the the gazpacho laced with a type of Sanax tranquilizer. Um, but if just, you guys w- consider w- it a if you guys consider it a drink, do you serve it differently? Like, would you serve yeah, normally, it in a glass? Yes, at home you would have it in a glass. Hmm. So that throws people off because I've seen some Americans, sorry, may like um, put vodka in gazpacho. <laughs> we have bastardized gazpacho like it's in cool. big time. Is that uh, not but, just a Bloody Mary then? Is it like a version yeah. of a, it? It is. Yeah. But gazpacho essentially is just a ve- like a salad, a pounded salad that now it's made in a blender, but it was pounded in a pestle and mortar. And um, it's it's really one of the most famous dishes of Spain. Wow. But also, Blanca, you mentioned, too, that sometimes, again, like it's about gazpacho being served in glass, that, that sometimes gazpacho is the beverage that you serve with a meal. Yes, it's, it's a course. Yeah, it's something that you drink in the summer with your meal, definitely. I mean, not to harp on about my fascination with hot drinks, but like gazpacho is my worst nightmare. <laughs> I know I just have to be like I'm here kind of slightly gagging but like (laughs) I mean a cold soup I I do and also even like 
Bloody Marys when I mention them there. I just, I can't, I can't drink cold soup. I just can't. And it's probably my hot drink fascination. And I can't believe it's spilled over to another episode. But like, yeah, worst, worst nightmare. Worst nightmare. I had a, a the mothers of one of my daughter's um, class over and I served, I made the fatal mistake of serving gazpacho and uh, really nobody drank it. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's something that you would understand in Spain when it's 42 degrees and you're dying and of heat. Oh, I, and then you would certainly understand it, but it doesn't translate well to a country like Ireland, that's for sure. Yeah. But I also, can- I have had it in Spain and it's absolutely delicious. And I agree. I think it is a, and that's, you know, I think it is a temperature thing. Yeah. But I also do want to say that the reason why um, I brought this up is because Blanca has always reminded me of the main character, uh, Carmen Mora, um, because she is so flinty and glamorous. And she makes the gazpacho. <laughs> and I love Almodovar, so um, I'm obsessed with all the food and kitchens in his movies. He's, he's very um, iconic. Hmm. But do you tell me, just going back to these differences between countries, what would have been your soups growing up as a little girl in Tipperary? Apart from the hot Ribena soup. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, soup, first of all, I'd say like soup was very much... Um, a staple in our in our daily lives um and our diets um our household um but we were definitely a nor packet soup house um so the dry um ingredient you know dry packets of soup um and my dad it was so funny we would have um we would have a box in the press in the cupboard um where we would keep all the packet soups and my dad if there was such a thing when you think about blending wines, if there was a <laughs> if there was a mastery, a, a kind of a you know a lovely um, blending of soups of packet soups, my dad had mastered it because he would kind of go, "I'm going to put half vegetable with a touch of cream of chicken." And a little sprinkle at the end of cauliflower. You know, like he'd be just like mixing it up, blending the soups. Um, That's uh, very sophisticated. I know, right? I mean, like there's an art to it. I just don't think he got the recognition, you know, but I appreciated it. But um, we, so we, and we would always serve, we would have, so first of all, we would have the soup with, um, always with bread and butter. I think that that's a really common thing in Ireland as well. I don't know if it's, you know, like, soup is a course in itself it's not necessarily a starter unless it's for dinner you would have a smaller bowl of soup but really we have soup for lunch that's when we used to have soup especially on Saturdays we would always have um, soup for lunch with a sandwich or with uh, just some bread and butter and you would dip the bread smothered in butter into the soup so it kind of melt into the soup um and yeah, but it was always either a packet soup. And then if we, if someone were to make soup, um, it's, I always associate Ireland, you know, with blended soups. Um, so you're talking about making a vegetable soup like cauliflower or broccoli or just a vegetable soup, but you know, it's a cream of vegetable soup and it's kind of blended at the end. So not necessarily that the vegetables are left whole, um, so I think there's that's definitely a, a common theme in Ireland as well. Um, and I think like bread, like brown soda bread would also be like very common in restaurants to get on the side with soup as well. And it's kind of funny because, I mean, you know, that 
our one of our national dishes is lamb stew and lamb traditional Irish lamb stew is like essentially a clear broth stew um but yet when it kind of comes to soups we've always tended to lean towards blending them and I don't know if that's because people are just not as comfortable with making them so they just they tend to boil the vegetables too much so they just want to blend them just to kind of get that creaminess or maybe it's our our lean you know we lean towards kind of cream and butter and stuff so it blending them gives you that kind of texture that's a good Um, point about the cream I think probably that's the link but um I wonder how soups were made before the invention you know of the blender and and You know, historically, how are they made? The the interesting thing about Spain is that I, th- or soups apart from gazpacho, which is the, <laughs> that would be, you know, just in the cold soup or summer soups or soups tend to be, have a lot of items in them. So I find my daughters reject that. My daughters are half Irish, half Spanish. And when they see a soup and it has a lot of bits in it, they don't as- associate it with soup. They they kind of ask, what is this? And I think that they've been kind of trained in Ireland to think of soup as a blended soup. Uh, May, can you tell us a little bit about, from a Chinese point of view, Chinese people seem to be very uh, horrified with blended soups. Uh, they in are a way horrified. That are not. I think that um, they are horrified. However, um, actually, I um, I kind of wanted to, to still uh, go back to what we were talking about, the idea of blended versus clear. Um, before we jump into Chinese soups, which Blanca, frankly, I think you have more knowledge um, than I do on this topic. Um, but my question, actually, to all of you guys is, is clear soup a luxury thing, right? So, like, Irish, I'd say that the history of Irish food has been something that has been marked with poverty, right? And so, if you're taking a consomme, and also, I think that there's a Spanish consomme as well, right? So, the idea of, for instance, reducing a bunch of meats and then clarifying it with egg whites um, to pr- like basically produce something that has no nutritional value, is that something that only happens when people are rich? Definitely. I think mm-hmm. that if you've ever made consomme, it's one of the most ridiculous and wasteful um, soups that you could make. Um, I think in Spain, consomme would be associated. It's it's a it's like a French thing. It's something that would be associated with the nobility or going to a really posh wedding or but it, it wouldn't be a traditional soup, except maybe at Christmas in Spain that we would make it. But or soups tend to be more hearty and and full of things. Definitely in Ireland, consomme is not something that is associated with our culture other than having it in a fancy restaurant. And again, it's a French, um, we associate it with French classical cooking. So, but I wouldn't have said that it's something that, you know, would have been served in, in Irish households, but, um, but definitely going back to what you said about, I mean, there is, there is definitely a massive tradition in our culture historically of using you know chicken carcass to make to make broth to make stock and then to create a stew or a soup from that with vegetables or you know meat in it um but i just think that maybe it was the popularity of brands like 
Nor and Baxter and, you know, like, and then canned soups. I mean, God, when we moved from packet soup to canned soups, I mean, to say, I mean, my father was, you know, devastated because obviously his blending techniques just went completely <laughs> out the window. But, um, but no, but like when my sisters introduced, you know, you can get Campbell's tin soup or whatever. Like my dad was like, what? This is, you know, the convenience of it. Um, so I don't know if, if those, the popularity of those brands in convenience and supermarkets in the 80s maybe kind of started people didn't have time to make soup in the traditional way and that's why that became blended soups became more popular um it's just a theory but i think that that's probably it i just think in ireland there's a lot of uh, root vegetables so it yes. kind of makes more sense yeah, yeah definitely. than if you had other type of vegetables and I we mean, do tend to drink soup more in the winter than like we're definitely seasonal eaters in terms of like hot drinks and and soups in those in the winter so everyone would be having their kind of porridge now in the winter and soup for lunch and things like that um i also wanted to talk about how again when we were talking about this idea of you know that in an Irish household, and I think you would say that it is in a Chinese household and probably an American household before you would have the carcasses, you know, simmering um, in water um, with some, you know, old vegetables and stuff like that. And I think that that maybe that the household itself model has changed, right? Because we don't have somebody who's minding that stock anymore Mm -hmm. as everybody goes and, you know, and everyone's working Right. You don't you know, that the idea of having a clear stock as a backbone, like for your for your meals in the next week has no is no longer relevant. I wouldn't say I I would say there's I wouldn't say it's no longer relevant, but I definitely think it did. You're right. It came down to time and just people not being at home and having the time. However, I do feel that I mean, I can't ever imagine not having stock you know like I mean I I do it every week um I do it once a week after because I always have a roast chicken probably once a week so I always always you know have turned that into stock and then keep that and use that to make soups and and other things um so I think it's just a matter of habit and getting into habit. so anyone I feel like who tends to cook a lot would probably even if they do it on the weekends, would probably make that part of their week still. But um, whereas yeah. I think that yeah, like I think that um, I was chatting with Blanca earlier, like that um, in the states we just have boxes of stock. Yeah, right, and that becomes and even my mother, who would be a different generation, and when I go to my mom's house, there's always a pot of soup, but she's not, she doesn't have the patience to make her own stock. She's using, you know she'll be using box stock and it's not something that is readily available in this country. So I think it's really funny that, um, and you know, how things kind of are so cyclical, like in terms of history with food and, you know, years ago, um, because there was women, you know, women were at home and they had time to make stocks and probably clear soups were the basis of, some of our diet um, and stews but then as you know time became more precious and people women were going to work and there wasn't somebody at home you know 
um, packet soups and tins of soup became really popular. And that's probably where the blended soups started to gain in popularity. And also because you could just throw a pot on and it didn't matter if you overcooked the vegetables, you know, like you said, with the root vegetables, you could just blend it up and still have an amazing soup. Um, but then now it's come back kind of full circle again, where it, it became a trend. I don't know if it was, it was around the time when, um, paleo and all that was becoming really popular and there was you know everyone was talking about bone broths and there was a few kind of um celebrity chefs from other countries talking about bone broths in their in their cookbooks (laughs) and things and I remember like even some Irish chefs here I'm pretty sure JP was one of them who I know was on last season as well was kind of like bone broth like you're talking about stock that we've been doing in Ireland for hit, like for you know decades, um. But bone broths became really popular, and people started you know because of they were promoted as having the health benefits and everything, and that became kind of trendy. And with that came a few Irish producers who actually brought out ready-made stocks, liquid in um packets. And the one that springs to mind that's really good is Sadie's Kitchen. Um, I don't know if you've ever had it, but really, really good stocks um, or broths that you can buy in packets in 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 supermarkets. Um, but it's funny how things kind of come back and now people are kind of promoting, you know, making their own stock and, and broths at home. It's just... I, I find the bone broth. Have you ever made it, guys? It's, it's no. I, I actually i i made it. Um, I made it for a severpiece, and oh my god, it's such a pain. <laughs> I make it in the pressure cooker, and I have to say, I make it thinking I'm going to drink it, and then it's it's really. I just prefer a broth. I think people don't realize how long it takes. I make it in the pressure cooker, mm. but it takes hours, mm. and it's become trendy in a way that's just so ridiculous like please oh oh, putting like we've been doing this since the beginning of humanity and now you're going to teach us and there's a bone broth diet but what one thing that is very different with broths in spain is the aisle in the supermarket in spain for broths is quite big so manufacturers have started making a lot of varieties of stocks so they would have paella stock uh, black paella stock fish stock so that is something that we miss like Spaniards miss when they come here that that doesn't exist, but it's really just, you know, it's like the cereal aisle that somebody mm. has come up with a concept and they've made all these permutations of essentially the same thing. I but one say- good place, sorry, one good place to buy fish stock in Ireland, if you don't want to make it is in the fishmonger, you know, mm-hmm. you go and they have it and they make it there and it's really, really good. Blanca, can you also talk a little bit about the difference between a broth and a stock? Because it's in my in, no, just, it's not. It's because yeah. a stock is bone, like a stock has bones in it, and a broth, I think, was is only is only meat. So mm. with a stock, so like at least like when um, in the states we had this broth versus stock, right? So when you when you came out with the stock, there was more gelatin because there was the bones that was in it as opposed to broth, which was not that heavy in gelatin. That might just be a U.S. thing. I think it's just the the terminology, but I think bone broth, when people refer to bone broth, it's something that cooks for much longer and Mm -hmm. the bones start to disintegrate. And you also put vinegar in it Mm -hmm. to aid with breaking down um, the bones. So I would say that's like a different almost 
that's a different thing to what you would use for cooking. But one interesting question, guys, we always talk about these broths and these stocks. Don't you sometimes make soup, a vegetable soup with water, if you wanted to taste of that flavor? I find sometimes if you use a chicken broth with carrot, it just doesn't taste as nice. Do you do you tend to do that? I, in Books for Cooks, I remember uh, Eric uh, Trey, the owner, would always be like, no, just use water. And I was like, what? But then I've kind of, and I've seen that a lot in cookbooks, that if you want the flavor to come through of certain items, if you use a stock, you just kill the flavor of the original item. I used to do a French onion soup, which was, I think it was Jacques Papin. And that was just water, splash of wine and time. And his argument was very similar to yours in where he didn't want to kill the flavor of the onion with any of the meat flavor. I have definitely accidentally found that out in terms of I've used chicken stock in a soup and kind of gone, oh, I can really taste the chicken stock in that at the end. And I didn't want to necessarily. So um, I think I could definitely see why you would do that. Yeah. Makes makes sense. I mean, you don't yeah. want to overpower it. And I just wanted to add something to what you were saying earlier, um, Blanca, about the um, the stock aisle. Like, I mean, I think in in Ireland in supermarkets, you know, the stock aisle is actually just two shelves on, you know, cubes, <laughs> and, yeah. and really it's just cubes. Um, then you have the the kind of gel stock pots um, that have started to kind of come out in the last few years. Um, and then you do have some packets now of liquid stock, but they're less, less, uh, they're harder to find. And now we just want to take a moment to talk about a particularly exciting show, Words to That Effect, a podcast about all things literature and hosted by Headstuff's own brilliant tall drink of water, Connor Reed. Connor takes deep dives into zombies, mystery, fantasy, and romance. All three of us girls at Spice Bags are book and genre geeks. Dee Laffin, I know, is a little bit of a horror nut. Safe to say that we will all be listening. I'm Connor Reed with words to that effect. How do the Victorians invent time? Where do all those pirate cliches come from? Should we all read romance novels? Why are kids so obsessed with dinosaurs? What makes the perfect detective story? What happens to culture and society in a post-apocalyptic world where everything has stopped? Words to that effect tell stories of the fiction that shapes popular culture. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts and at WTTEpodcast.com. Um, can we talk really quickly? Um, I know um, we chatted about this a little bit, but again, the idea of a restaurant was premised on soup. Uh, you know, because in France in the 19th century, there was a restaurant, like, Blanca, would it be restaurant? I, I know I misspelled it. You were like, it's restaurant. French. <laughs> restaurant. And, like, and, and so there was, there was in the 19th century sort of selling to, I'd say, the working and middle classes, right? It was just soup. And that becomes our modern notion of a restaurant. It was like a restorative, something to restore. And I do think that if you have like a, a lovely broth, it kind of restores you in a way that coffee would. 
you know, it's, it's something that it, it has a lot of, um, nutrition in it. So I guess it was served as a medicinal drink. Well, and I come from, of course, like, I mean, I come from a Chinese American tradition, but because I come from the East coast, I also come from a Jewish tradition. So the idea of chicken soup, which everyone calls Jewish penicillin is just at the backbone of how we eat and also of wellness that if you are That's feeling such an American Ill, thing, right? If you're feeling ill, if you're feeling down, you have a bowl of chicken noodle soup. And here we would do that in Ireland, definitely, but it would be chicken soup. But unfortunately, I think somehow along the way it got lost and you might be served packet chicken soup. Okay. But, 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 but I would like, if I was ever feeling unwell or if there was somebody in my house who was feeling unwell, I always, always served, but not chicken noodle, just a, a chicken soup. I found when I lived in China that people, if you tell them you had chicken soup, they would immediately assume that you were sick because chicken soup in, in China is something that's just for the people who are feeling really bad. So I found that interesting. But in America, chicken soup is everywhere. Like you cannot go to a restaurant and they wouldn't have chicken soup. It's always there. Whereas in Spain, that would be occasionally you might find it, but it wouldn't be on the top you know, five soups, whereas in America, it's everywhere. And do you think, May, that comes from a Jewish influence? Why are Americans obsessed with chicken soup? I think it's definitely a Jewish influence. Um, and um, and for me growing up, I'd say that I would have had chicken soup probably four or five times a week, right? You go oh in, you know, yeah, like you- uh, For a you Chinese from, person. For a Chinese person, right? Like, but whether you have it from a can or whether you go to a, like a, diner or whether you go to a deli. Um, my favorite, of course, is chicken matzo ball soup. I have a very funny anecdote about a very worldly friend of ours whose name will go unmentioned, but he um, was talking about this wonderful consomme with canals floating in it. And I went to him and said, wait, are you talking about matzo ball soup? <laughs> and I think that that was just that weird disconnect between Irish culture and American Jewish culture. Or American culture in general. Yeah. American culture in general. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right about that. Well, I think like the Chinese also, we just have soup all the time. But, it's but often not it's, chicken. It's chicken pork, is kind of... Pork, pork yeah. ribs. It's usually pork ribs. And it's usually, you, you'll do it with... Um, but my mother will, will have a pot of that or a minestra like always on the stove. Um, but yeah, maybe chicken soup is a sick thing. Um, but also, uh, Blanca, I wanted you to talk about why the Chinese hate pureed soups. Well, I, I really don't know why they hate it. I think there's a reason probably, if you think about it, if you're pureeing soup, it's not as healthy as having a soup that all the vegetables are there and you have to chew it and you get more fiber. So it could be that. But I found living in China, people, you know, Chinese people, friends, or or Ayi, the lady who looked after my daughters, they found it just horrific. And especially when it was made with potato and carrots, it was something that she could not, she didn't want to feed it to the girls. She was horrified. And you know, I asked my Chinese friends who spoke, you know, good English just to translate this rejection of pureed soups, which I make all the time because I have a Thermomix. <laughs> and 
they were just saying in China that's just that doesn't exist. The puree is something that it doesn't exist in in Chinese cooking culture. So, and it could be because of the way they cook, where everything is chopped and everyone is quite good at chopping their vegetables and meats. But I, I don't really know exactly why. But that doesn't exist. But we do have chowders, right? Like we have the gung and we have kanji, which I guess would not be necessarily pureed soups, but it's this idea of thick soup. And yeah, they, but there's no blender. They're not really yeah, soup. Like, yeah, nobody does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Like I had never thought of that. Like no one throws anything in a blender in Chinese cooking. They they think it's something horrific that Westerners do. <laughs> and when I think about, you know, um, different types of soup where you would have leaves in them, you know, like kind of Asian soups with either seaweed or, you know, even something like watercress or something like that. Like my dad would be appalled. Mm, I could just, I could just, he'd be like, what is this leaf that you're putting in? You know, he would, he would be kind of, why isn't that chopped up? Why isn't that blended? You know, that sort of way it's that kind of thinking. I mean, I love it, but I just, you know, that traditional Irish kind of background towards uh, just blending everything up. My Irish husband, Tommy, likes to call them weeds <laughs> when I serve that to him. He's like, why are there weeds in my soup? Yeah. And may just to go back to the, the first question, I suppose, to kind of answer to get each of our backgrounds of, um, like, I mean, in terms of soup as being served you know, we were saying like in Ireland, it's served more as a kind of a lunch course or rather than something that preludes to dinner. Is it similar in Chinese culture or in, in America even? Or when is soup eaten mostly? I'd say that for me, my soup fixation is definitely me being American as opposed mm-hmm. to Chinese. Um, mm-hmm. And we would have, yeah, we have soup all the time. And we, we you mentioned that you like to have it um, in Ireland. It's usually bread and butter often mm-hmm. soda bread, we always have crackers. But to have a bowl of soup with crackers on the side is absolutely lunch. And you would like, uh, you would have it, I would have it again, four to five times a week. Um, mm-hmm. And whether that's clam chowder or whether that's matzo ball um, and, um, and then, you know, and definitely probably for dinner as well. I find it interesting that in, I found, or I found it interesting when I was getting to know the Chinese or um, Asian culture cuisines, that they would have soup for, for breakfast, like the congees. I, I found that really difficult, not difficult. I mean, because obviously we have porridge here, but even the fact that there would be, you know, fish or seafood in the congees and having that for breakfast, um, but then again, D, are, are you remembering when I took you to Taiwanese yes. brunch? Yeah, the Taiwanese was just, brunch, but I loved it now. There was like a I, big, big thing of kanji with like crab shells floating around. And, which I have to say was absolutely delicious, but I was kind of like, okay, so you have this for breakfast? Okay. You know, like yeah. it's that, you know, but then also I know like maybe a lot of Irish people might have smoked salmon or kippers or something like that for lunch mm. or for breakfast, but I've never been a fan of having seafood at breakfast. I have so. to say, I love congee. It's one of my favorite oh, breakfasts. So good. Yeah. But my daughters will, will, won't eat it. They, they just think it's bizarre. But it is a porridge, essentially. Mm. It's 
it's just broken down rice and it's very similar except yeah the chicken turns people away but i think congee is one of my top breakfasts going back to the having soup um in in other countries and and you know especially in spain soup is something that's kind of part of the whole meal as you know in spain we go out for lunch like if you're working you go and you have a, a set menu and the restaurants cater to this three things. So it's like a soup or a salad and then a main course and then a dessert. And it tends to go along, you know, like you have maybe a soup, it could be a fish soup, and then you have, a, you know, a steak with salad and fries and then a flan or like a custard. And that's what we, that's where we see soup. So when you see it in Ireland as a, as a lunch, It, to me, at first, it was kind of shocking because I was starving afterwards. I'm like, how many bowls of soup do I have to to eat to to feel uh, a little bit full? So that's it's, why you yeah, have the soup, bread. Yeah. That's why you have the bread. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even with the bread, I'm still hungry. <laughs> no, there was, but also there was there was a huge trend um, when I was working at Vogue magazine, right? This idea of volume dieting and soup being one of the big things, right? Because because there is so much liquid as opposed to ingredients, it fills you up more than other things do. Yeah. So But it's interesting just how people, yeah, what people consider lunch and what people consider dinner, it's very, very different in Ireland to, to mainland, yeah. Blanca, also, like, um, is there a tradition in, Span uh, in Spain about so cooking soup at home? And where would that fit in? You would make soup, but but soups, it's it's kind of, there's a barrier between a soup and a stew, what we call estofado. So, you know, in Spain, we're obsessed with pulses. And it, so a lot of the things we eat would be like, like a lentil soup, but we call it a stew, like lentejas estofadas with chorizo. So I would say, or, or soups, quote unquote, tend to be heartier and they tend to be chickpeas with salted cod or lentils with chorizo or clams and um alubias which are like the flageolet like the the white beans so pulses are a huge part of our soup stew tradition so we we still would have you know a vichyssoise like a leek soup with potato but The, the the lunches tend to veer around pulses. And if you look at the menus, the set menus, that's why the set menus in Spain are so cheap because lentils are very, very, very cheap. And the same thing when you look at the menus in schools, there's lentils and, and, and chickpeas two or three times a week for children. So, or soups tend to be more around pulses, which is extremely different to, I don't know, America or China or, or Ireland. And that would still be part of a meal as opposed yeah. to a standalone. Okay. That's It would be lentils with chorizo and then fish and salad and then rice pudding. And in small, they're small portions. Don't think this is a humongous meal. It, they're small portions and the menu would cost maybe 14 euro. Can we also talk about some of our favorite soups? Do you want to go first? What are no. your favorite soups? I, I <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I will say, no, I will. Um, so um, this isn't to do with tradition in Ireland. This is just personally. Um, so I do, like, one of my favorite soups is chicken soup. Um, not packet or blended or anything, just a clear chicken soup. Um, So similar to you, may I suppose, but but just not with the, I know you said chicken noodles. I just love making 
um, a clear chicken soup, maybe with some vegetables in it. And that's just because I suppose I've gotten me personally into the habit of always, as I said, having a roast chicken and then making a stock or something from that and making some making some soup from that. Um, also, and this is kind of a random one, but um, when I was, I, I, I trekked to Everest Base Camp in 2017. And when you're trekking on your way up, the whole, the trek itself, I don't want to say it's not difficult, but it's not the walking that's difficult. It's the altitude that's really difficult. And I had, the Nepalese are, they love soups. And obviously, because again, it's quite a poor country, they rely a lot on soups. So you will always be given their lunches and dinners always start with soup. And it's kind Mm -hmm. of really strange not to have soup before you go on to your main course. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially at lunch. So we would be given, sometimes you're given a choice, but most often than not, they would just put a bowl of soup in front of you and you'd be like, oh, what is it today? And it would be some sort of vegetable soup. Um, But more often than not, the higher we got up, once we kind of got up to like 4,000 meters and upwards, we were given garlic soup which is something that I had never had before and almost repelled when I heard that it was garlic soup because I just pictured, I don't know, raw garlic in in, in a bowl of water or something, which, I mean, I did have close to that once or twice. but, um, But actually, it was so delicious and it was clear with a kind of, they had just put the garlic roasted or, um, first and then kind of chopped up and put into it and boiled in it and it was it was to help thin our blood to kind of keep our 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 blood healthy and and help with the altitude but it was the most delicious thing and obviously I suppose maybe I have a real fond memory of it because you'd be walking for so long you'd be so tired that when someone put a bowl of soup in front of you you'd be just so happy and it was so replenishing and so delicious but I have to say that I have a real soft spot for garlic soup. Yeah. My favorite soups would be um, miso soup. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just, I'm <laughs> obsessed with miso soup, uh, especially with tofu and wakame. And I always have the UHT you know, packaged tofu in my larder just for, for miso soup. And then I really love, um, I grew up in Central America, so I was exposed to a lot of South American and you know North American food. And there's a soup in Colombia, Colombia uh, called Aji Aco, which is divine. And I'm just so disappointed more people don't know about it. It's a chicken soup, of course, <laughs> with potato avocado capers cream oh. and and a, oh. and and a herb that, that I replace with coriander and it is really delicious and everybody who eats that soup loves it because it's it has so many different ingredients capers from the spanish corn from the american continent and then the cream that irish people love so it's a soup that i find irish people really like whereas spanish people are like why are we putting cream in the soup um I definitely think you should all try it. It's called ajiaco. So those would be my two favorite ones. And we will, you, link, we will link onto a recipe for ajiaco. Um, I was going to say that um, I love Mexican tortilla soup. Um, mm, and also oh, there's another yeah. Mexican soup that is literally um, my family always eats it and we go, oh, it tastes really Chinese. And it's just clear soup with lots and lots of coriander, vegetables, and then it's garnished with queso friso. And, um, and then obviously matzo ball, 
and then I there's a um, there's a place in Chinatown in New York that does a shrimp wonton with watercress that I would oh, kill yeah. for ramen yeah. like a bowl of ramen which I don't oh. know counts as soup but that's um, why I didn't mention ramen because I wasn't <laughs> sure if we were allowed but if we are allowed to mention ramen then that opens up a whole whole different kind of yeah I love ramen love it love um it. clam chowder that's a very American soup and then also a very American soup um despite its name Italian wedding which is little meatballs and um as Dee's dad and Tommy would say like garnished with weeds right because it's there's <laughs> all these greens in it um yeah. and um but yeah no I am just I am a soup affectionado <laughs> Yeah. Can I say something about seafood chowder? I love Irish seafood chowder. And that would be when my friends have, I don't know, carrot soup, I have seafood chowder, the large portion. Mm. And seafood chowder is just the most delicious, um, one of the most delicious soups that I've ever had. And I love going to the fishmonger and buying, you know, that mix they have. I always have that in in the fridge to bake every week I make seafood chowder so that would also be one of my favorite soups yeah you took the words out and when I was just when when May mentioned clam chowder I just thought of it the Irish seafood chowder is beautiful and I love that with some with some Irish brown soda bread you know is just absolutely divine I agree with that really really love it and I just wanted to recommend a book about soups um, from my vast collection of books for cooks books. <laughs> uh, Lindsay Barham, A Celebration of Soup is a fantastic soup uh, book. It's has, there's no pictures. It was published maybe 20 years ago, but just her classifications of soups are amazing and embellishments to go in soup. So do look out for, uh, for this book if you're really interested in soups. Uh, and if you guys don't have it, you should get it. It's, it's the definitive book on soups from an Anglo perspective, not from a Spanish perspective, but from an Anglo perspective. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk about too is I think for me personally, this might be a personal thing, is that soups have always had this iconic fairy tale role. Um, and for me, there was, I think it was an Italian or a German story that's called stone soup where a beggar comes into a village and they're starving. And he said, I can make soup with a stone. So he has a pot of boiling water and he throws a stone in it. And then he goes, you know, what would make this soup better? Some carrots. And someone goes and fetches some carrots and he's like, Mmm, tasty. You know what would make this soup even better? would be some pig strutters and like they go and get some pig strutters and eventually right what they have is a soup but that everybody believes was created from the stone yeah that's um, that's a it's a pretty classic really story, story right and then the other one yeah. is um the jade and pearl soup which is a chinese fairy tale where an emperor goes hunting gets lost um and in the woods and is starving and again, a beggar, right? So this idea of beggars and soups, like a beggar finds him and when he's about to die of starvation and he shares his soup with the emperor and, um, and it's with moldy rice and cabbage. And the emperor goes, what is this? This is the most delicious thing in the world. And the beggar is like really embarrassed. And he says, it calls it jade and pearl soup. And when the emperor comes back to its court, um, he tries to get his chefs to replicate this. And they're throwing in actual pearls and actual jade. And he's like, no, no, no. And finally the beggar comes up to the court 
and he gets into the kitchen um, and he's like, right, I need rice. That's not moldy enough. I need cabbage. That's not spoiled enough. And he brings that soup together and the emperor falls in love once more with the soup. I've never heard of that tale. (laughs) It's cute though. I have a story. My dad used to scare me um, when I didn't want to eat my food that he would make a Spartan black soup. So the Spartans, uh, you know, they were, I guess, before the Greeks, but they made the disgusting soup called black soup with blood and everything. So he would always talk about that. So whenever, you know, somebody doesn't want to eat something, I always think of my dad saying, we will make Spartan black soup. So that's not a fairy tale. That's a nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) I did. I did a little bit of a deep dive. We talked about that before. It's melazomas and it's boiled pig legs in blood. Mm, delicious. delicious. Anyway, Dee, did your dad scare you or tell you any tales? Not about soup, no. <laughs> Other things I can imagine, but unfortunately, no. No soup tales for me. Well, we could write a little children's book about soups, May. So I love that Jade story. We yeah. also, there's um, actually Dee, when you were talking about your dad blending packet soups, um, I was reminded of uh, the, there's an American food writer called Ruth Reichel. And she talks the and um, her memoir Tender at the Bone talks about how her mother, who was a little bit bipolar, poisoned an entire wedding party. And what she did was it was from a Joy of Cooking book, and it was um, half tin tomato soup, half split pea soup, and she garnished it with crab meat that um, was on quote sale, and everyone almost died. I love that book. (laughs) If you like what you heard or better yet, have a question or response or comment to anything that we said today, we really want to hear from you. So please contact us at Instagram at Spice Bags Pod. Twitter as well is the same Spice Bags Pod. Or you can email us at Spice Bags Pod at gmail.com. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.